0: There was a movie that came out back in 2002 called Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, and uh, the movie is is actually based on the life of a real person, a man named Frank Abagnale, who was a con artist, and and between the ages of 15 and 21, he performed cons worth millions of dollars. Um, He impersonated an airline pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, and several other identities. And if you've seen the movie, you see just the craziness of, of some of the things that he pretended to be, not knowing anything about some of these things. It's uh, so remarkable to see how easily he tripped people into believing him um, along the way. But eventually, things caught up with Frank. He was arrested, imprisoned, And uh, finally actually went on to work for the federal government to help them investigate crimes committed by other fraud and scam artists. He sort of had to pay it back a little bit after what he had had done. Well the story of Frank Abagnale it's sort of an extreme one um, but it highlights an issue that's actually very common in all of our lives which is the issue of integrity. Uh, Frank pretended to have various occupations that he didn't really have, right? He, he put on certain faces and masks to, to pretend to be something that he wasn't. And he constantly lied in order to do that and then covered up his lies with more lies. Frank is, a, is a, again, a kind of an extreme example of someone who lacked integrity. He didn't have an integrity in terms of how he presented himself on the outside to what was going on on the inside. This summer, we're, we're going through a sermon series uh, from the book of Acts called Witnesses. And we're looking at how the earliest followers of Jesus functioned as Jesus' witnesses, testifying to who Jesus is, what he's done. And in today's text, we're going to look at two particular individuals in that early Christian community who lacked integrity in their witness. Uh, they, they're, they're kind of lifted up as a particular example in the midst of this. And it was kind of almost the first crisis of the, first, of the early church that we see in the book of Acts, they pretended to do something that they didn't actually do, and they tried to cover that up with lies. And so my sermon title today is Integrity. We're gonna be looking at how this issue of integrity was dealt with in the early church and how um, this might apply to our lives as well today. So our text is um, Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. And uh, in last week's passage, we looked at the end of chapter four and we saw that some individuals in that early church community um, were doing some amazing things. They were selling their land, selling houses um, that they owned. and They brought the money from the proceeds of those sales to the apostles who would distribute it to people who had need. And it was this amazing work of the spirit kind of motivating people to want to give generously. Um, And the end of chapter four... Um, And specifically with mentioning a man named Barnabas who sold a field and brought the money to the apostles. And so there's kind of this this act of generosity is highlighted this man, Barnabas, and this kind of leads directly into our passage today. So again, Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Lord, as we read this this sobering account of of what happened in this particular incident in the the early church, we pray that you would open our ears um, to receive what you want to say to us, Lord, through these events, through this account, and uh, that you uh, would teach us, God, and that you would bring us to... Confession and repentance and, um, and invite your spirit to work among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by just acknowledging that this is a challenging passage of scripture. Um, in the lectionary, which is uh, the path that many churches, denominations use kind of the, uh, you know, readings that they that they'll kind of do over a three-year period, this passage isn't in the lectionary, <laughs> And I have to admit, when I, when I saw this as the next passage in the book of Acts, there was a part of me that like, maybe I should just jump past this one and move on to the next part of chapter 5. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We need to wrestle with challenging passages in Scripture. And, and you know, one of the challenging things about this text is that um, the text doesn't explicitly say that, that God struck down both Ananias and Sapphira, but that's certainly the implication, right? That both of them, right after this confrontation with Peter, they both die. And I think sometimes we, we, re, we read passages in the Old Testament where God strikes down someone and we sometimes think, well, okay, that's the Old Testament. You know, that's before Jesus. You know, God wouldn't do that in the New Testament though. But then we read today's text and he does. <laughs> He's doing this and, and, and it's challenging. What's also challenging is that I think sometimes we can feel like, man, it's a little extreme for what Ananias and Sapphira did, right? I mean, on the surface, it seems like they've actually done a good thing. They sold a piece of property. They brought part of the proceeds to give to those in need. They didn't give all the proceeds, but but is that a reason for them to die? You know, maybe they weren't completely honest with Peter and the apostles either, but we all stretch the truth from time to time, don't we? Does that really deserve death? It's important to wrestle with challenging passages like this. And my prayer today is that God will open our eyes to understand the seriousness of what Ananias and Sapphira did and why God made such a big deal out of it. Why this was recorded in the book of Acts. Why this happened in the early church. So I want to start by looking at the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. What what did they do that was so wrong and that was so serious um, that, that God deals with in this way? Well, the actual act of what they did is recorded in verse 2, which reads With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And so, this couple, they, they sell a piece of land just like many other people were doing in the community, but The text tells us they kept back part of the money for themselves. They brought the rest of the money to the apostles for them to distribute to those in need. Now, on the surface, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly wrong with that action either. In fact, Peter even says in verse 4 Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So, in other words, Peter is saying, Ananias, this is your land. There's no compulsion for you to sell it. Right? That was something that people freely did out of, out of God's movement. But there was no compulsion for people to sell their property. And he says, even after you sold it, the money was yours. It was at your disposal. So you were free to keep all the money. You were free to give some of it away. You were free to give all of it away. There was no compulsion for you to give the full amount. So then what was the problem? The problem was they lied about what they had given. They lied about what they had given. We see this clearly in in verse eight when Peter asks uh, Sapphira, he says, tell me, is is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. so they told Peter and the apostles that they were giving the full amount of money they received for the land when in reality they kept part of the money for themselves. but they didn't share that information. And so they were lying, they were pretending. Have you ever done that? My, my youngest brother, when he was a kid, used to go upstairs at bedtime and pretend to brush his teeth, but he never actually did it. And so he would tell my mom that he brushed his teeth when he actually hadn't. And this was finally discovered when he went to the dentist and they found that he had multiple cavities in his teeth because he never brushed his teeth. Um, have you ever told someone, I'm praying for you when you actually haven't prayed for them? I'm guilty of that. I'm sorry to admit. I tried to remember. but Or, or let's get together sometime when you have no intention of actually getting together with that person. When I was in college, there was, there was one class that I never had time to do the reading for. And every time I went to the discussion section, I just prayed that the teaching assistant wouldn't call on me. And so I would would nod along very thoughtfully as, as people were making comments and pretending that I understood what they were talking about, but I didn't. I hadn't done the reading. And so I just, I was putting on a mask, a face, when actually what was going underneath was I hadn't I didn't know at all what they were talking about. The reality is, people do this all the time, right? We portray ourselves one way on the outside when there's something very different happening on the inside. We lie to save face. You know, something where we're kind of encountered with something that we feel a little ashamed of, and so we, we cover it up with a lie. Or maybe we exaggerate to make ourselves look better. You know, we embellish a little bit to, to kind of, I got, Ananias and Sapphira, well, I gave it all. I gave everything away. You know, they, they exaggerate. And so we wear a mask to cover what's underneath. But when Ananias and Sapphira do this, Peter confronts them. And he tells them that their sin is actually far worse than they might imagine. In verse 3, Peter says, Ananias how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So he actually identifies what, what they did actually with, this is satanic. Satan has filled your heart. And At the end of verse four, Peter says, you have not lied to men, but to God. Now, isn't Peter being a little extreme here? A little overdramatic? Why, why does he use such strong language because Peter wants Ananias and Sapphira and he wants the rest of those early believers to understand something that their sin was against God. Their sin was actually an offense against God. Imagine Ananias and Sapphira getting together and talking about their plan. You know, I can imagine them kind of saying, man, did you see how how everyone praised Barnabas when he sold that field and he brought the money to the apostles? Wouldn't it be so great to do something like that for the church? People would be so excited. Needy people would be helped. And, you know, we we might get a little appreciation too, maybe, in the the process. But I I don't know if we can actually afford to give all the money. You know, be wise to 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 tuck some of that money into savings. And I mean we can give most of the money to the church. And and if they thought that we gave all of it, who would that hurt? No one needs to know that that we kept little for ourselves. It, it's basically a win-win. Needy people get help. We have a little security. What's the problem? <clears throat> can you imagine yourself having a conversation like that? You see, our culture has this idea that as long as something doesn't harm someone else, it's okay to do. You know, things like murdering, stealing, physical or verbal abuse, these things are clearly wrong. Everybody, Even our secular society would say that, right? If it's harming someone, of course, it's it's wrong. But if it's something that's, you know, it's not harming anybody, what's wrong with it? If you lie about something and nobody knows or doesn't harm anyone, what's what's really the problem? The problem is that sin is not just about doing something against another human being. Sin is against God. Sin is about not just our horizontal relationships. It is about a vertical relationship. And God has given us his law. He's given us his law. For our good. And there are many things that God commands us not to do, which may not directly harm or affect another person, but which he knows if we do them, it will harm and affect us and our soul. An example of this, God, the Ten Commandments, the very last commandment, God commands us not to covet, which means to to want something that someone else has now, the act of coveting, it's completely internal, right? It's, it's in our minds. Coveting is not going to harm the person who owns the thing that we want, but coveting will harm us because as we get consumed with wanting and desiring, it, it, it makes us lack contentment and lack gratitude for what God has given us. It, it, feeds, it begins to feed, fill our hearts with, with greed and, and eventually that internal sin also may eventually begin to affect how we do treat people externally too. That sin that we sin against God, that may we, we feel like, oh, it's just, it's, you know, nobody else knows about this, but it starts to, to affect us. It affects our soul. It affects our relationship with God. And it will begin to trickle out and affect other people too. The lie of Ananias and Sapphira if it had not been confronted by Peter, who knows how many other things they may have begun to justify in their own minds. Because sin builds on sin. Imagine what the church would have been like if, if, if they had just sort of said, well, we, we kinda, Peter kind of knows this, but we're just going to push it under the rug. And suddenly there's a culture of fakeness and wearing masks and and doing things to make ourselves look really good, but it's very easy to live a life that lacks integrity. Where we say one thing, but we do another. Where we act one way around certain people, but totally different around other people. Where we portray ourselves in a certain way that's not completely true. And when we do this, we are also sinning against God, just like Ananias and Sapphira. In our scripture reading from Galatians 6, verse 7, that our read, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We can't fool God. We may be able to fool each other sometimes with those masks, but he knows the truth. He knows what's going on in our hearts, and he knows when we're pretending, when we're lacking integrity. But why did God choose to bring death upon this couple as a consequence? I mean, isn't that too extreme? I want to look now at at the death of Ananias and Sapphira. You have an idea of kind of what was going on, what was that sin all about, but, but why did God... Have this be the consequence. Well, for one thing, their death highlights the fact that sin always deserves death. In the Garden of Eden, God warned Adam and Eve that if they disobeyed him and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. And throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of death being the consequence for rebelling against God. The flood the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the 10th plague against the firstborn sons of Egypt. There's even actually a very similar passage to this one in Joshua chapter 7, where an Israelite man named Achan kept some of the plunder that God had told the Israelites to completely destroy. So he does something kind of similar to Ananias and Sapphira. He, He keeps something for himself. He does it secretly. Nobody else knows. But as a result, Israel loses a battle badly. And God tells Joshua that someone in the camp had taken some of these items that were supposed to be destroyed, and when they discovered it was Achan, the penalty? it was death. Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death. Sin always deserves death, no matter how big or how small we may think the sin is. God is perfect. He is holy, and as we said, our sin, it's not just about others, it's about him. When we sin, we are sinning against the holy, righteous, perfect God, and a perfect, holy God cannot dwell in the presence of sin and rebellion, and so death is the natural result. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. Goodness is either the great safety or the great danger according to the way you react to it. And we have reacted the wrong way. Ananias and Sapphira reacted the wrong way. By sinning against God's law, by lying, by presenting themselves as someone, something they were not. And the consequence of that was death. We have reacted the wrong way. When we lie, when we lack integrity, and sin always deserves death. Before we get to the good news, because there is good news coming, I promise. But I want to, there's one other thing I think, reason why I think God chooses to to make a point here with this particular incident. It also seems that God wanted to show how much he cares about integrity. Because I want you to think about this. Do you think that Ananias and Sapphira were the first believers in the early church to commit a sin? No way. Of course not. All of those believers in Jerusalem were just as imperfect as you and I are. This wasn't the first time that someone had sinned in the early church, but Ananias and Sapphira's sin was dangerous enough that God wanted to underline how deeply he cares about integrity, about his children not pretending and deceiving others. He wanted to make a point of this particular sin. There's no other record, really, in the New Testament of God doing something like this. There's something particularly about the beginning of the church, and, and God wants to make a point about this. In this sermon series, we've been focused on the way that those early believers were witnesses to Jesus in their words and actions. I want you to think about what happens to the effectiveness of a person's witness when it becomes clear that they lack integrity. It's ruined, right? Think of the examples of pastors and Christian leaders who have fallen because of secret sins that they kept hidden while they continued to lead like affairs and sexual harassment and abuse or embezzlement. I mean sadly there's been that's, that's come out in the last few years, right? Even pastors that pastors that I really respected and, and it's it's heartbreaking when that happens, right? When you see when things like that come to light, especially when there's 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 been hiddenness around it, it can have a devastating effect on the congregation and on the witness of that pastor, the witness of Christians in general. God knew that deception and lack of integrity shown by Ananias and Sapphira, it could become a cancer that would hinder the witness and the growth of that early church. And so he took dramatic action to remove it. He wanted to make an unmistakable point that integrity matters and that lying and pretending has no place in the body of Christ. So the question that we're faced with today is, what is our response to this? I mean, this is a sobering passage. How do we respond to this text? Well, we read about the response of the early church in verse 11 where it says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That's an appropriate response when we see how seriously God views sin and how deeply he cares about integrity, in particular, when we recognize, my goodness, this is how God cares about this. Fear grips us because we realize, I'm not perfectly, I don't have a perfect integrity, do I? Because here's the thing, if God responded to our sin, to our lies, to our lack of integrity the way that he did to Ananias and Sapphira, this room would be full of dead bodies. That's that's, a little harsh, but it's true. None of us would be alive if God judged every lack of integrity the way that he did with Ananias and Sapphira. So why aren't we all dead? Only because of the mercy of God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a life of perfect integrity which none of us can live. Jesus always spoke the truth. He never held back anything for himself. He never pretended. He never lived a double life. And yet, what happened to him? He was the one who dropped dead, who took the death and judgment of God upon himself. He died on the cross for our sin, for our lack of integrity, for our lies. And now we don't have to die. And in exchange, he has offered us forgiveness and mercy and new life, even though we don't deserve any of it. So how do we respond to that? We confess and repent of our sin. We come clean. We start telling the truth about ourselves. We acknowledge our lies, our pretending, the ways that we try to present ourselves in a deceitful manner. And so ironically, we start to live a life of integrity by admitting our lack of integrity. And we acknowledge that we deserve death for this. So we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, and guess what? Our God is merciful. Jesus has paid for our sin in full. We are cleansed. You are cleansed. And when we receive this amazing grace and mercy that we don't deserve, guess what starts to happen? We realize that we don't need to pretend anymore, that we don't need to lie to God or put on an act, that we don't need to pretend that we're more righteous than we are because God accepts us and loves us even though he knows how sinful we are. We don't need to to act like we're more righteous than we are because we are accepted not based on our righteousness. We are accepted based on Christ's righteousness. So we can come clean. And so what happens is we start living a life of integrity. We're able to be honest. We can admit our weaknesses the areas where we're still growing, we no longer need to wear a mask. But then we also start to want to live a life of obedience to God in response to his mercy and grace to us. We want that integrity not to be just, I'm honest about my brokenness, which is, which is true, but also we want to actually have our, our, our internal match, our external We want to begin to live a life on the outside that is reflective of of the Spirit's work inside of us. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit as he begins to change us to make our outside match our inside. This morning, we have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper or communion. And when we come to communion... We do exactly what we've been talking about. We confess and repent of our sin. We acknowledge the ways that we have shown a lack of integrity. The ways that we have lied. And we ask for forgiveness. We can come clean to our God. We can be honest about that as we come to communion. And then we get to hear the good news of what Jesus has done for us how he took the death that we deserve upon himself and how he offers us his body and blood to cover all of our sin. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite us into a, a posture and attitude of confession, of repentance as we prepare for communion, as we're going to sing a song of response, asking God to give us clean hands and to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts search my heart, Lord, see if there is any wicked way in me, the psalmist says, that we would acknowledge that and and bring it to God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the ways that I've tried to wear a mask. Forgive me for the ways that I've tried to to hide what's really going on inside. And the good news is that when we confess our sin to our Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us and to begin to transform us. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge that that we are sinful and unclean. Lord, that we have not lived lives of perfect integrity. Lord, we confess that that if you judged us the way that you judged Ananias and Sapphira, that, that we too would be dead. Lord, we have lied to you. We have lied to others. We have pretended. And so I pray, Lord, that even in this time of of just of silence and as we come to you, Lord, that you would would bring to mind even those areas that you're, you're convicting us of, of ways where we have done that. Where we have tried to portray ourselves as more righteous than we are. Where we have tried to hide our brokenness and not wanted to to reveal that to people, Lord. And we thank you that it's safe to do that with you, Lord, because we know that you will not condemn us, but that you will forgive us and cleanse us. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you would give us the courage to bring those things out to you, to confess our sin, and that we'd receive your forgiveness anew today, Lord. That We'd hear those good those good news words, Lord, that our sin has been taken away, that it is finished, that on the cross you paid for it in full. And Lord, in response to that, that you would give us a desire within us to want to live lives that are full of integrity, that we would be honest about our brokenness with each other. We would not hide that, but that you would also transform our hearts, Lord, to to live lives of honesty and live lives that are in line with your, your word, that, that, that are in inner, even those areas, Lord, that no one else can see, that are private, Lord, that that we would invite you into those places, Lord, that to transform us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, but also to remove that sin and to begin to, to change us through your spirit to no longer desire those things, Lord, but, but to go to you, to want to live lives of integrity. We can't do this on our own, Lord. It is only through your Spirit. And so we pray that you would do that work within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.